where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! Ha <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. This is a special episode of the Liberty Dispatch. We got to interview three very different men with three very different stories, but all of them have one thing in common. The experimental COVID gene therapy injection has ruined lives and livelihoods. Whether it's girls kicked out of school, an OPP officer being disciplined, or a law professor having to speak out and experience the ramifications, the lawless jab mandates affect people seriously and negatively. We'll bring you those interviews as well as commentary to tie it all together. I'm currently drinking Empty Promises. This is Resistance Coffee's decaf blend. And it's a fitting roast for today's episode, where the elites and globalists promise much, but only deliver death and decay. But we have a more sure foundation. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 18 to 20 says this, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. It's October the 11th. I'm Andrew DiBartolo. That's Matt Halleck. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. This is the Liberty Dispatch. Welcome to the Liberty Dispatch, broadcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war, wherever you're joining us from, whether it's on your favorite podcast catcher, whether that be Spotify, Apple, whatever it might be, Stitcher, Owltail, do, do people even use that? Or if you're checking us out at YouTube, Liberty C Canada, or you're checking us out on our Rumble page where we mainly post most of our stuff because they don't cancel us every time we speak. Liberty Coalition Canada is our channel over there. Be sure to subscribe to the different shows that we have. Be sure to continue to share, like, subscribe, rate, review, whatever you have to do. Engage with that content because it really helps it get out to more people. Also, speaking of our content, you can get it on a wonderful podcast network called the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. That's flfnetwork.com, okay? flfnetwork.com. You can type that FLF Network into your Google Play or your Apple App Store, and then you can also get an app and get us on demand. All our content, it's there. So that's great. You can get our show Liberty Dispatch. You can get Mike's show, Open Mic with Michael Thiessen, and the occasional monthly live stream conversation show that we have with Tim Tyso called the Liberty Lounge with Tim Tyso. We would encourage you to do all of that. 
Also, go over to our sh- website where you can check out everything that Liberty Coalition Canada has going on, libertycoalitioncanada.com. You can donate to us at the Donate tab at the start uh, at the top of the page. Also, sign up for our email list at the bottom. If you want an easy way to do it, there's a QR code right on the screen right below. You can scan that. That'll take you to the page as well. And if you want to reach out to us with any comments, questions, concerns, be sure to go over to info at libertycoalitioncanada.com. You can email us at that address, info at libertycoalitioncanada.com, and you can reach out to us with any of those comments, questions, or concerns, or mailbag questions that you want us to read on air as well. You know, Matt, it's a little-known fact that the initial rise of coffee drinking in North America was tied to the fight for liberty. Following the Boston Tea Party, American patriots saw it as their civic duty to wean themselves off of tea in order to stick it to King George and his unlawful taxes. John Adams, who would become the second president of the United States, told his wife in a letter, tea must be universally renounced. I must be weaned, and the sooner, the better. Today, you'd never know about this connection to freedom, since the coffee industry is usually associated with progressive ideologies, and six, since the, the woke Marxists engage in gaslighting, memory-holing, and erasing history. However, Resistance Coffee Company is bringing back the connection between coffee and liberty, and it's never been more delicious. Resistance Coffee carefully roasts only specialty-grade coffee beans, which means you're getting the very best coffee, too. Drink better coffee and support freedom at the same time. Make Resistance Coffee your drink of freedom today and go to resistancecoffee.com slash LCC. Again, that's resistancecoffee.com slash LCC. Go buy some of their coffee. Go buy some of their sweet merch and swag, including this very comfortable, very soft very snazzy looking shirt if i might say so myself and i will resistancecoffee.com <laughs> and these, slash lcc these these wonderful mugs as well andrew you've got one i've got one i've got the defund the cbc you got the liberal tears these are great mugs to drink coffee not tea out of and also people should know that the reformation um was fueled by coffee as well because the south american coffee trade was just getting to europe not not too too long before the reformation started so history coffee good things happen just, when you're just fueled a few, by just a few years i've, I've seen the meme that uh, the meme that says something like in 1514 coffee came to germany and in 1517 <laughs> martin luther nailed the 95 theses to the door of the castle church beware of a caffeinated pastor i think it was something like that <laughs> And that's that's the reality of history for those who care to study it. So coffee is definitely associated with freedom. Freedom in Christ, first and foremost, and then which leads to civic freedom. So anyways, anyways, some people in our country, Andrew, that we've talked to, we've had the pleasure of talking with a lot of people across this country from all different backgrounds about freedom, about liberty, or the reverse, about tyranny and about slavery. We've seen the COVID mandates, vax, mask, 
they've led to all sorts of evil, evil outcomes in our nation. Real people have suffered from the government mandates and the imposition of those mandates by private businesses and the going along with those mandates by many, many churches across this nation, Andrew. And we've highlighted, and we to... we've highlighted the, the physical effects. Like we've, we've done a lot of deep dives in the numbers. We looked at VAERS. We've looked at Eurovigilance. And we've showcased for our audience the very real physical, physiological consequences of taking this experimental gene therapy injection over and over again. But one of the things that we mm -hmm. can't forget, even though that's a very real reality with lifelong consequences, including death, which is fairly permanent these days, what we wanted to do is we wanted to highlight the reality that even though you don't have those, there are people whose lives, best case scenario, are sidetracked and really, really affected and, in t and hopes and dreams and plans and futures are completely sidelined, best case scenario. Worst case scenario, it has way more profound, way more profound effect on people who've devoted years and years of, and, uh, of their life to a vocation, to the pursuing of something. So that's what we wanted to highlight in this episode. We wanted to highlight regular people, three very different men from different parts mm -hmm. of the country, with very different experiences and showing how these lawless and and destructive mandates ruin their lives and the lives of those around them. And and the first person is Rod Moffat. Rod reached out to me personally by email, and his email stated that all four of his daughters were negatively affected by the jab mandates, including one of his daughters in the city where I live in Kingston. She was going to the university here. The jab mandate came in. And so she was sidelined from university and she had to find work on a dairy farm on Wolf Island, which is a little island just south of Kingston. But he's, here's an example of a man with four daughters. And as you pointed this out in the interview, clearly the value of education and excellence has been instilled into this family and into his four daughters, but all of them affected because they wouldn't go against their conscience and because lawless mandates really hurt people and hurt their lives. Yeah, so let's hear from Rod Moffat, a, a faithful listener of the show, a dear brother in Christ. I think you'll enjoy the, the discussion we had with him. We're pleased to have with us on the dispatch, Rod Moffat. Now, by way of bio, Rod, I figured it would be best if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your story, and then briefly by way of setup, why it is that you contacted us at the Liberty Coalition Canada recently. Okay. Um, my wife and I live in eastern Ontario. We've been married for 31 years. We have four living daughters, which my wife homeschooled for over 20 years uh, before going back to work. And that was the best decision that we made for our family. Uh, we've both recent re recently retired from public elementary school teaching and are looking for the next thing to put our hand to. And um, the reason I reached out to Liberty Coalition was that there was an invitation um, from Liberty Coalition to um, tell my story about how the vaccine mandates for um, universities and colleges have affected my family. 
Yeah, and and Rod, you got kind of have a unique story because as you made mention, you have four daughters, and and all of your daughters across the country were somehow impacted by different varying mandates. Um, so specifically, one was impacted when we're thinking of Western and that big story. But maybe you could share a little bit about uh, about your different daughters and how they were differently impacted by these uh, various ongoing crazy COVID mandates. Okay. Um, my oldest daughter um, has finished her education, but she just started a job at Western. And um, she was required to get the vaccine, otherwise she would lose her job. So she was coerced into it. She didn't want it. And um, then this fall, they were going to um, ask the uh, students to be vaccinated again. But fortunately, I think because of the uproar of that, uh, it was delayed until um, January. So our hope is that she won't be forced to take it again there. Um, our next daughter, uh, fortunately, was working at a Christian university in Saskatchewan, and she didn't have to um, have any vaccines. Um, our next daughter was going to a university in Ontario, and um, she had started the semester, and then they came up with the um, vaccine mandate, so she had to, she dropped out and went online. And then um, she should have graduated in May of last year, but because of the mandates and not being able to do in-person courses, um, her graduation has been delayed. So she took a course in the summer online. Um, she tried to do her four remaining courses this fall, but um, they couldn't give her the courses she needed. So she's working on a farm right now until she can take her final four courses next uh, semester. And then our last daughter um, was enrolled in a college in Ontario um, for a paramedic program. Uh, we went to the college, she got fitted for a uniform, uh, measured for her PPE. And then one week before she was to start, they, uh, the college came out with a mandate that she had to be vaccinated in order to live in residence. And so we had to drop out. We had already paid our residence fees, and fortunately, we got the money back. Um, and then she took a gap year, um, did a mission trip, and then um, she applied again to a Christian university in Alberta and was accepted, and they don't have the mandates. So it's just um, very hard on the youth that, that their plans are disrupted and they aren't able to do what they would like to do. I mean, we've talked a lot on our show about the consequences of these shots by way of injuries and adverse reactions. I mean, we've talked a lot about what we're seeing with a spike in, you know, sudden adult death uh, syndrome or the unknown causes of death, for example, now becoming number one in the province of Alberta. Or as we covered just in an episode last week, this this exponential spike in excess mortality among children 14 and under. One thing we haven't talked about as much that is still a very real thing are the consequences of these mandates for people who choose not to inject themselves with it. The people who lose jobs, who are kicked out of school, who, and I mean, even the social consequences of family members saying, 
we don't want you around. I mean, we were disinvited from Easter dinner two years ago because our our oldest son at the time, he had a fever three days before Easter. And they're like, no, 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 we don't want it unprotected. And so these are very real consequences. And I want our, our listeners and our audience to know that people who, for whatever reason, and it's no one else's business, whether it's medical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's merely a matter of conscience, who say, I don't want to engage in this experiment. I don't want to be involved in these human trials, which is what they are, that they're punished for it, that their education is affected, their lives are affected. And some of these have a long standing. I mean, pushing back the education for a year, two years, it trickles down. It has an effect. And I, I mean, I want our audience to see a very real example of this as they're going to see other examples as well, even in this episode of people very much affected because they refuse to give in to the, the pressure, the coercion, or because of their conscience. So my question, Rod, you know, you have four daughters. You mentioned that homeschooling was the smartest decision you made, with which I heartily agree. We homeschool our children, and I would encourage everyone to get their children out of neo-Marxist indoctrination centers to teach them to be little statists. But what would be your encouragement, what would you say to those people who are really, really wrestling, who are looking at their circumstances, saying whether it's school, whether it's work, feeling the pressure to give in so that I'm not cut off, so that I can continue to do the things I want to do. What would you say to them? Because I'm sure these are conversations you've had with your daughters. So what would you say to those people really wrestling with, do I get the jab? Do I not? For whatever reasons. Okay. Um, I have a few things. One is to uh, stand firm and do not comply. Um, the more people who don't comply may lead to change. And so that um, they won't have these mandates. Another thing is to look for alternatives. And so um, for our daughter in Kingston, um, she uh, went online. Um, she's delayed her education um, in order not to um, have the vaccine. Um, our other daughter, we looked for alternative school and um, did alternative, um, you know, took a bit of extra time in order to um, hopefully um, let the mandates pass and so that she could continue her, her education. Other things are do what you can to fight the mandates and support those who are fighting them, like Liberty Coalition. Um, get together with... That's us. Wait, that's us. <laughs> yeah. Matt, that's me and you. Yeah. Wow. Um, we do appreciate that, Rod. Yeah. Okay. And we appreciate what you do. Um, get together with other like-minded people um, for support and that you can uh, brainstorm and pray with each other and think of ways to deal with it. Um, be alert and educate yourself as to what is happening on alternative news sources. Um, Things are very deceptive, and you need to have many minds put to it to see the deception. And last thing I say is to prepare for lean times, because you don't know if you might lose your job or what could happen. And so it's good to make advanced preparations in case of difficult times. Mm -hmm. Well, Rod, I'm so thankful that you reached out to us and that you shared your story with us, because I'm just, uh, you know, it. The, like Andrew said, the real world impact 
like we talk about this as we're doing news and analysis and commentary, and it can kind of seem very ethereal, very um, you know philosophical. Uh, we talk about big concepts, but these are the real world um, consequences of these mandates that we've uh, got the opportunity to highlight for people the real people behind who these mandates are crushing and disrupting their lives. And especially for you guys, it seems like you're a family that places a high value on education. Your daughters all place a high level or value on education and they're, um, they're taking their schooling very seriously, but because of a medical decision that they're making in their conscience, they're being, they're losing opportunities that they otherwise would have. And that's the real tragedy of it, especially when we consider in, in uh, younger women who of child rearing age, who we know um, are, are severely affected by um, the COVID uh, jabs when we're talking about menstrual s- cycles it, a new study said about 50 percent of women who got the mrna vaccines had significant changes in their cycles so we're talking about shots that the it, it's there's more evidence that the spike proteins ending up in the ovaries we don't know the long-term ramifications of these shots on women on their reproductive uh, capabilities and to think that we're thrusting these on on highly uh, capable young women who want a good education is is truly despicable. Um, so you know this could lead to times of despair, rightfully so. As you say, Rod, we have to be thinking of these lean times and preparing our hearts and minds for them. So you know, as you guys have dealt with these four different scenarios. Um, what has really what about your faith has really grounded you in the decision making process and helped you as a family unit um though you guys live in different areas um work through these difficult issues together okay uh one my first thought is that you know our bodies are the temple of the holy spirit i don't want to be putting into my body something that is harmful and um the evidence is there um we know personal relations in our town and relatives who have suffered by taking these shots. Um, I have to keep reminding myself that God is in control. And so ultimately we are in his plan and uh, he is watching over what is happening. I have to keep reminding myself, do not fear. I had to struggle with that, um, especially last year, seeing how the restrictions kept getting more and more severe and thinking, oh, what's coming next? But I had to remind myself that I do not need to fear because God is on our side. Um, There is peace in entrusting the lives of my family into God's hands. And a couple of verses that um, help me, um, Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And another one that helps me is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I want to, I want to, I want to, pull that 
and, and Rod, you can nod or agree if this is accurate, but I want to boil, boil all of this down to something that's, that's digestible, that's, that's, that's pithy for our audience, and it's this. We need to be informed. We need to know what's actually going on. We need to be ready to pay a cost for our convictions. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be an inconvenience. We have to be prepared to make difficult decisions. We have to surround ourselves with like-minded people with similar convictions and a similar faith. And we need to trust that the Lord, who's very much in control, is directing all of these things. Therefore, we can have peace and not be afraid. Yeah. Does, that, does that seem like a pretty good summary? Yeah, very good. And a great message indeed. Rod, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us your story and and that just good advice, the good perspective that we need to have when we're facing the real life consequences of these insane COVID lockdowns. We pray for an end of the lockdowns. We pray that uh, things will get easier and better for uh, your daughters as they continue to embark on their educational journey. And we pray the Lord's blessing on you and your family, Rod. And I, I'm so thankful that you're a great example uh, for for your wife and your daughters as well. And we appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your, your vacation to come and talk to us. Okay, thank you. So, Andy, I just again, it's just you see the impacts that these mandates have on people. And I, I'm so thankful that Rod and his wife have placed a good value on education as educators themselves. They saw the, the need for a good Christian education, provided their girls with that education. And what happened? Well, their their girls became educated individuals who weren't just cookie cutter Marxists indoctrinated in the public schools, but they could stand on courage of conviction and on conscience, even if it sidelines their educational plans. And in some cases, you know, totally upends their lives. So we're thankful for Rod and parents like him who have instilled these values in their children, that they're not just another cog in, in the machine that they can stand on courage of conviction and act out their worldview in life. So thank you, Rod. Uh, we really appreciate you reaching out to us and kudos to you and your wife and your daughters for standing firm on what they believe. The next interview that we are going to show is Elijah McCann. Elijah McCann is a former OPP officer out of Prince Edward County and Belleville area. So that is, it's funny, the, it's, it's, so we didn't plan this, but all three of the people that we interviewed have fairly close connections. Rod's daughter went to Queens, uh, where Elijah was actually serving as an OPP officer, where he was working, is about 45 minutes west of me. And Elijah didn't reach out to us. I heard about him. I heard about an OPP officer, a very rare instance of an OPP officer, not just refusing to take the experimental injection for his own valid reasons, but being outspoken about it as well and about the evil nature of the mandates and also being disciplined because he took his kids to a playground, a playground that I have frequented many a time with my own children in Belleville. So we want to show that interview with Elijah, who's in a warmer climate these days, and he's going to talk a little bit about where he is and what he's doing. But again, it's another example of a regular guy, 
who is a hardworking man of conviction and integrity, whose job and vocation upended simply because he won't go against his own conscience. But before we get to that interview, it is brought to you by Rocklink Investment Partners. The team at Rocklink is and does not support a woke Marxist WEF-friendly cancel culture worldview. And they've created the Kokomo Fund. In light of bank accounts being seized and frozen during the Emergencies Act, or what it's really called, the War Measures Act 2.0, Rocklink can help you move your investment overseas based in the Cayman Islands, the world's number one offshore market for investment funds. Give the freedom lovers at Rocklink a call at 905-631-5462 or send them an email, info at rocklink.com. That's info at rocklink.com. We are pleased to have with us on the dispatch Elijah McCann. Elijah McCann is a former OPP officer who is employed with the OPP for 13 years. And for the members of our audience who are not from Ontario, that is the Ontario Provincial Police Force. For 12 years, he was a frontline officer posted in beautiful Prince Edward County, about an hour or so from where I am in Kingston. It is lovely there. As a frontline officer, he responded to thousands of police calls for service, ranging from barking dogs, even to homicides. As COVID hit, Elijah noticed the pandemic's impact both on his profession and on Canadian rights and freedoms, which he took exception to. Elijah is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and has studied martial arts for 30 years. He is happily married with three wonderful children, and he currently resides in sunny Florida, which is probably much, much hotter than it is here in Kingston right now. Elijah, thank you so much for joining us on The Dispatch. It's great to have you. Well, thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. Pleasure to be here. So, Elijah, uh, I have a question. Given your profession, um, and it's always a good question to ask my my eight-year-old son right now is is longing of becoming a police officer so he can put bad guys in jail. And so with that fresh in my mind, the question that I have for you to help our audience get to know you a little bit better is why did you become a police officer? Tell us a little bit about your service and what led you to that particular profession. Well, I was in search of what I would consider to be a, a warrior profession. Uh, growing up as a kid, I was always into the martial arts. You know, I loved the, the ninja movies and, and Bruce Lee and Kung Fu fighting, the karate kid. Uh, and at the age of 15, I started formally training in the martial arts. And that's kind of been a common thread that's run throughout my life. Uh, during my 20s, I taught a little bit of martial arts, but it wasn't enough to really pay the bills. And my sister was dating a guy at the time whose father was a police officer. And so I watched him go through the process uh, and get hired on by a, a police force, actually the, the Kingston Police Police Department. And then after he got hired on, my own sister went through the process and she ended up getting hired on by the OPP. So I was in my early 30s at the time and I got thinking, you know, Elijah, you're not getting any younger. And, you know, if both of them can get through and, and make it on to be professional police officers. Why don't I give it a try? I've got nothing to lose. So that's what I did. I put the gears in motion and uh, kind of fell through the cracks. And the rest is history, as they say. I made it on with the uh, OPP and enjoyed a uh, about a 13-year career with them. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I'm sure, as he, as Andrew talked about in the intro, when COVID hit, for a lot of people working in all different sectors, life changed and changed dramatically. So when COVID happened and when it began and you saw some of these mandates and restrictions coming down the pipeline here, what were some of your initial reactions? And then maybe you can talk a little bit about okay, what really changed in your mind in the direction that it was going to lead you to think this is a bad situation we're dealing with here? Well, the first mandate that kind of hit me personally was the whole mask mandate. I remember returning to the detachment after one of my shifts and they posted a a sign on, on the door that the officers used uh, indicating that masks were now mandatory in all OPP buildings. And I wasn't a big fan of the mask. I've um, always enjoyed breathing oxygen, and I found that the, uh, the mask really interfered with that. And so what was weird was that, um, you know, it was the same as what we saw with the restaurants. You had to wear the mask to get into a restaurant, but once you were sitting down and eating, all of a sudden it was magically okay to take the mask off. And so it was the same in the detachment. You know, if you were moving around the detachment, you had to wear this mask. But as soon as you sat down at your workstation, you could remove it. And so that just did not make any sense whatsoever to me. I mean, so I, I took a major exception to that. And, um, you know, as a, as a rational thinking police officer, so much of our um, communication is done through body language and facial expression. And in the scenarios that we find ourselves within, it's very important to effectively communicate with people. And I found that the masks were a detriment to that. So to be uh, reprimanded a number of times for not wearing the mask, it, it really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And it was just, you know, affecting the credibility of the organization in my mind. You know, they were more or less expecting us to, to kind of live this lie, you know, to, to play play pandemic and, you know, play out these political theatrics. And it just, just wasn't working, working with, for me. So focusing specifically on the mandate that I think was the one that was most problematic for Canadians. I mean, obviously we all had a problem with, or, or there were many of us who had issues with the mask mandates because of the, you know, the utter ridiculous nature of the mandates, like you said, right? Like apparently COVID, just doesn't go down low. Like it's only when you're walking up high, but as soon as you sit down, COVID takes a break. And when food comes over, COVID's really scared. Ah, broccoli, right? So so that we understand how silly that is. So we get that. We understand how devastating it was to be isolated from friends or family members or have church limits restricted, right? Personally, as, as an elder in a church, all these things touch us. And from the very beginning crazy people like us that, like we've said before on the show, have upgraded our tinfoil hats to jewel-encrusted tinfoil crowns. We were saying if they can do all this at the beginning, what's to say they're not going to also impose a mandate for the shots, saying you can't do this, you can't go to restaurants, you can't go to theaters, you can't go to gyms. And then they finally did it. And this was something that, I mean, this was a line where at this point, People started losing their businesses, people who refused to comply. So when that mandate hit, were you 
I'm assuming you were still serving with the OPP. How did that go down? How was that received, do you think, by those around you? And what was the effect as these mandates for the experimental gene therapy started coming down from the top? So I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall from the very beginning of, of the COVID charade. I knew that the the end game, so to speak, was about getting this vaccine out there and driving up profits for big pharma. So that was kind of my line in the sand. I was not going to take this experimental vaccine, no matter what, uh, my body, my choice. There's no way that I'm going to be a guinea pig for some experimental product in which the manufacturer is not liable. So the Mac, uh, the employer started highly encouraging people, not mandating it, but really putting kind of the pressure out there to get the vaccine. And I saw nine out of 10 of my colleagues just fold like a, a deck of cards and concede and they got the vaccine. There was only a small handful of us uh, that held out and said, no, we're not doing it. And so essentially what happened if you weren't going to take the vaccine then they made it mandatory that you would have to be tested uh periodically to to ensure that you didn't have this um this covid so uh around that time i went off on stress there was an incident that occurred uh, we can get into that where i was charged with discreditable conduct uh for practicing a little bit of civil disobedience yeah, well, would you specifically like to talk about the the civil disobedience and and why indeed um, that happened uh, to you? Was it regarding some of the COVID mandates and and their effect? Did you did you support the truckers? Is that what you did? Did you support the truckers and <laughs> and and put a did you did you put a Canadian flag on your car? A symbol of white colonial supremacy and tyranny? Did you do that? <laughs> Very good, good question. This actually happened before the Freedom Convoy. It was in April of 2021. So Doug Ford had just announced his most recent lockdown. And by that stage of the game, I had, I had just had it with these mandates. Um, so one day, I believe it was a Sunday, maybe April the 17th, I got a text from a good friend of mine, friend and business partner, and he asked me if I wanted to bring my kids to a local park along with him and a few other families that we knew. And I knew at that time that uh, technically speaking, we were under lockdown and that it probably was a no-no, but I just, I'd had it up to here. So I said, you know what, let's do it. Let's go to the park. Let's bring the kids, have a little bit of fun. So we showed up at a local park in Belleville and as timing would have it, the city workers were just in the process of kind of cordoning off the, the playground equipment as if COVID was hiding on the playground equipment, just waiting to jump out on the unsuspecting public. So as they were closing down the, uh, the playground equipment, we walked into the play area, kind of disregarding them. And we started to just talk and the kids were playing on the swings and the slides and so forth. Then the city workers promptly got in touch with the local municipal police who responded to the call uh, that there was a group of adults that were refusing to leave the park. And so the police showed up and the whole incident was uh, video recorded. It was later placed onto uh, social media. And I, I was as professional and, and polite as I could be with the other officers. Uh, we do the same job. I was hoping that they would exercise a little bit of discretion. Uh, but essentially, when they asked us to leave the park, 
we refused. We just out and out said, no, sorry, the kids are playing. This is our park too. We, play ta uh, we pay taxes. And um, as adults, we've got the ability to make you know, decisions regarding our health. Sorry, we're not leaving the park. So the, the municipal police that were responding to the call, they kind of tactically retreated. They, they ran the license plates in the parking lot. Although I didn't mention my name, I did mention that I do the same job as them. So they knew that I was a police officer and I was there with another police officer who was off duty as well. On my next scheduled shift, I showed up to work and my staff sergeant called me into his office. He said that they'd um, received a phone call and a complaint from another police department. I was the subject of the complaint along with my coworker and that we were both going to be charged with discreditable conduct for not following the, the police orders to leave the, the park when directed. So that uh, the, the discreditable conduct charge was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I'd had a, a really good career up until that point, but I was struggling with the mandates. And, you know, it was one of those decisions that I look back on in retrospect, and it was a, a life-altering decision. It, it certainly changed the course of my life, that one decision to go to the park and to, essentially to stand up to tyranny and to do the right thing. And I have no regrets. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> it's got to be one of the dis first disorderly conduct uh, dismissals or or, or uh, suspensions based on going to a park with your kids <laughs> on off hours. I yeah. think that's it. Just shows the absolute absurdity, which is the very thing you were put putting your finger on the whole time of these COVID mandates. And I just, uh, I just want you to talk, Elijah. I know. Men and women who join the the police force, the armed forces, all these frontline professions. A part of what you do when you get into these these lines of work is you take an oath, and that oath is to uphold law and protect the freedoms of Canadian citizens. In in your context, it would be the the, the free citizens of Ontario, and. I, maybe you can talk a little bit about that being a burden, like a moral burden on you as a police officer who's seeing all these weird health regulations that we've never done before in society. They're clearly impinging on Canadians' basic charters of rights and freedoms. And how, as officers, you're not just to blindly follow the dictates of of any random bureaucrat, but you're actually there to uphold law and order and how when those things uh, collide, it's a duty of somebody in your position to uphold the actual laws and rights and freedoms of Canadian citizens. Well, that's absolutely right. And um, we, we all took the same oath and that oath involves defending the Canadian charter of rights and freedoms. Somehow, over the course of the last two years, the majority of my coworkers and, and colleagues seem to have forgotten that oath, or maybe they're interpreting it differently somehow, which is absolutely mind-boggling to me. Um, yeah, so, so there's nothing more important than the Charter, and that is our job as police officers. We took that oath, and unfortunately, it seems to have uh, gone by the wayside, as far as I can see. And we saw proof of that. You know, you fast forward, I went off on stress after being charged with discreditable conduct, uh, but we fast forward to last winter 
and I monitored the activities of the, the Freedom Convoy and the truckers quite closely. And it became clear to me at that point that the charter just no longer existed. It had gone by the wayside uh, somehow. And that um, after seeing what they did to the Freedom Convoy and the truckers, I knew there was no way that I could uh, continue a, a career in policing, working for this government and under these conditions. It just went against, against every grain of my moral fiber. And ultimately that so, oath. So, I, I mean, I appreciate yeah. the mor moral courage that it took to do that because obviously it comes at a great cost to you and your family and, and it makes you, it puts you in a very difficult situation. So we appreciate that. So Elisha, tell us a little bit about um, how it all kind of came to an end, what the process of your time with the OPP coming to an end and then the decision to relocate and a little bit about what you're doing now, what's next for you. So as I mentioned, uh, Andrew, I, I monitored the activities of the, the truckers and the response from the government. And once I saw them cracking down on peaceful protesters the way that they did, uh, once I saw them freezing assets and, uh, and that type of thing, you know, it became 100% obvious that this was no longer the Canada that I thought that I was living in. And so at that time, then I made the decision that, number one, I was never going to return to policing. Uh, for this government. And number two, it would probably be in my, in my family's best interest and in my best interest to get out of Canada. Canada uh, had become, an, in my mind, an open air prison for, for me and my family. Uh, we're all unvaccinated. Uh, we were ostracized by society. We couldn't go to restaurants, couldn't go to the movies. Um, uh, it put major strain on relationships, family relationships. And so when you start hearing about uh, secret quarantine camps that are being built that Randy Hillier can't discuss in Parliament, alarm bells start going off. And so we started putting gears in motion, kind of liquidating assets and making plans to, to leave Canada. And essentially, we had a small window of opportunity to do that. So the first attempt crossing over to the United States was into New York. And if you follow American politics, you know that New York is a little bit COVID crazy. Um, and I'm not one that really follows mainstream media. So I, um, my understanding was the unvaccinated just couldn't fly. I thought we could drive across. So when I was asked, asked at the border, are you vaccinated? I was too honest and I said, no, I'm not. Um, he asked us to pull over. We were subsequently detained for about an hour and we were denied entry. And so that was um, marked a low point for my life. I, my whole plan to, to cross over to freedom was foiled. Uh, so we had to go back to the drawing board and I consulted with a friend uh, who had made the move a couple of months prior to us making the move and he's down in Tennessee. So we decided to try again the following morning, this time at a different border crossing down at uh, the Detroit, uh, Michigan, Windsor crossing. So that, yeah, at that point, I knew how the game was played. He asked me if I was vaccinated. And you know what? Unfortunately, as a kid, I did receive some childhood vaccines. So technically, I wasn't lying. I, I did say yes. And it was smooth sailing. We got through. And that feeling of getting to freedom, gentlemen, was unforgettable. I'll, I'll never forget that it was like a giant weight being lifted off of my shoulders. We had escaped Canada, and we made it to uh, the land of the free and the home of the brave.
So what's next for you? What's uh, what are you doing now in in Florida? What's next for you by way of either work opportunities? You can open up your own private martial arts practice. What's uh, what's the plan for Elijah McCann? Yep, no, that's exactly it. We had uh, three main missions when we got across. Mission one was to get the kids enrolled in school, so we've done that. Mission two was to to purchase a home, and we've done that. We take possession later this month. And then mission three is to start a business and work towards obtaining our E2 visa down here. And and like you say, it'll be a martial arts academy. Uh, just prior to um, handing in my resignation, I was awarded my black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So that's the plan. I'm going to really follow my heart and follow my passion and uh, open up a martial arts academy. Well, that's awesome, man. It, you know, it, it, it hurts my heart, um, as I'm sure it did yours. And Andrew, I'm sure you can attest to that, that you had that moment of jubilation to escape Canada. And, and what that says, what that indicates about the state of our nation, which is, I think we could all agree, a beautiful nation. We've been given a wonderful country to inhabit, and it's it's been spoiled by absolute, total, and utter insanity and tyranny. And that's the really gut-wrenching part of, of the situation we find ourselves in. So, Elijah, thank you so much for coming on and just giving your testimony on, on your faithful service to the OPP, on what you kind of saw coming down the pike and what changed for you, and then also just having the moral courage to stand up and, and push back against um, these, these government mandates and these coercive policies that have been put in place, not only by government, but then also aided and abetted by, you know, different agencies, also the private sector as well. So we appreciate men like you who will stand on principle and act accordingly. And uh, I think the sad part for me is we need more officers who are willing to do those things, not less in Canada. And it's too bad that we chased out a good one. So we really appreciate you uh, coming on the show, sharing your story with us and our audience. And we wish you uh, Godspeed in, in all your endeavors. Well, thank you so much for having me, gentlemen. And, and thank you so much for being a voice for freedom, because we need people such as yourselves to, to speak out louder than ever on what's going on. Awesome, man. Thanks again. Thanks, Elisha. Take care. Thanks, guys. Again, Andrew, I, I'm just struck by the the real life impact that these mandates have had on Canadian citizens. Elijah no longer lives in Canada because of what he's gone through. It's totally, absolutely, and utterly absurd that this man was harshly disciplined by the OPP for taking his kids to a park where COVID does not spread. COVID is not spreading outdoors. So bad science, bad policy, horribly unethical enforcement of all those things leads to drastic effects on people's lives. So 
again, we're so thankful that Elijah came on the, the program, that he stood firm. He, he had courage of conviction again to stand against the tide and do what he believed in. And we, we need more men and women across this nation, across this globe, frankly, who are going to be like Elijah and, and stand firm for himself and for his family. And, and we're so thankful for his testimony, Andrew. But before we get into our last interview we have to acknowledge another freedom-loving company that we have partnered with, Andrew. Yeah, talking with Rod, talking with Elijah, and even our next interview, it brings to mind and memory really what happened. A lot of people have forgotten about the last two and a half years, but it brought it to mind. And I know that 2020 and 2021 feel like a lifetime ago. But I still remember not just the stories of these men, but businesses forcing their employees to muzzle their faces or businesses firing people unless they can prove they'd put an experimental jab in them. Whatever happened to workplaces being about hard work, integrity, and respecting our rights and freedoms? That's why you need to, not should, but need to, must connect with Red Balloon today. If you're a Canadian business that wants solid employees who don't care about having a woke, statist, ESG-friendly workplace, then sign up at redballoon.work LCC to post jobs for great employees. Likewise, if you're looking for a workplace that will respect your rights, freedoms, and conscience, sign up at redballoon.work LCC to find great employers. Let's build a solid economy together at redballoon.work slash LCC. We have to grow this parallel culture. We have to grow this parallel economy. You might be thinking, oh, well, I'll just go back to the same job that's going to put me on unpaid leave and the next wave of tyranny force me to act against my conscience. Or you might be thinking, what am I going to do? I have no choice. I got to hire whoever they bring me. And even though people don't necessarily want to work and they're more concerned about having the right messaging, and the right rainbows on display for the right month, oh, you throw your hands up in the air. Well, don't do that. Actually do something about it. So business owners, go to redballoon.work slash LCC, sign up, post your jobs there. Post your jobs to find the right kind of employees that will make your business strong. And if you're looking for work, go to redballoon.work slash LCC to find workplaces that will actually support, protect your rights and freedoms where you will have a good workplace with a solid environment. Go do that today. Support our friends at Red Balloon. They're doing incredible work, and we want to help them grow a solid, uncancelable economy in Canada. Absolutely, man. Uh, as somebody who managed many, many staff in, in a former life, it seems like, um, this is extraordinarily important to align yourselves with those who have the same values and same work ethic as you for the sake of your company or for the sake of your livelihood and your family's livelihood. So this is something we must do. And we must understand the Marxist infiltration that we talk about from it's from top down, inside out, all the way around. And that includes the workplace. So that is why places like Red Balloon are so very important. Um, Andrew, we were we had the pleasure of of having an, another interview with with Bruce 
party. And I was, I didn't know too much about Bruce before we talked to him, but I was really blessed by the conversation we had with Bruce and, and the fact that he's standing up in a different realm than what we see uh, from even Elijah or Rod. He's speaking up as a lawyer to a profession that is extraordinarily influential in society and that is as he explains extraordinarily susceptible to the nonsense that has gone on over the last two and a half years so i think you'll be blessed by this discussion as much as we were having the conversation so enjoy our conversation with bruce party We are pleased to have with us on the dispatch Bruce Party. Bruce Party is the executive director of Rights Probe. It's rightsprobe.org. We'll link that in the show notes. And a professor of law at Queen's University in my town, Kingston, Ontario. A critic of legal progressivism and the liberal managerial state. He warned of dire consequences as soon as COVID lockdowns were imposed in the spring of 2020, as did many of us. He is one of the authors of the Free North Declaration, a call to arms to protect civil liberties from COVID irrationality and overreach. Definitely some COVID irrationality. He's written on a range of subjects at the front lines of the culture war inside the law, including human rights and freedoms and free speech. He has taught at law schools in Canada, the United States and New Zealand, practiced civil litigation, served as adjudicator and mediator on the Ontario Environmental Review Tribunal and a senior fellow at the Fraser Institute. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us on The Dispatch today. Oh, Andrew, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. So I came across your work a while ago, actually, on the National Post. I saw a number of the articles that you were writing with regards to the mandates and the response to the COVID virus itself and the, the deep problems, the troubling nature of these on Canadians. And so as we kind of read in your bio, there were some things you were seeing, some things you were witnessing early on that were of concern. And so as a law professor with your experience and your expertise, what is it specifically or what were the things you were seeing during COVID that were raising concerns that you had for the well-beings and the freedoms for Canadians. Right. I think we've all heard of the people, the many people who have been punished uh, by these measures in all different kinds of ways. But let's go right back to the beginning. Even before you saw people being ostracized from their jobs and thrown out of their social circles and being ticketed in parks for sitting on a bench. Just the very first measure of ordering a lockdown was itself a huge red flag, right? Because it, it, it reflects an idea. And the idea is that the job of the government is to keep us safe. And in order to do that, it can legitimately tell us all what to do. And that in itself was the breaching of a kind of threshold. And I and many others, as you know, said that early on, this is, this is like almost immediately in, in, in March, April of 2020, this is a bad thing to do. We are establishing a precedent. We're establishing an idea. The idea is wrong. 
you know, stop this now. This is not going to be two weeks to flatten the curve. This is going to be a new era where governments take control of what happens in society. And that that's what we've seen ever since then. And we can go through and 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 you know and catalog all the various ways that people have been imposed upon, fringed upon, have their civil liberties taken away, uh, and their and you know it's legion. But 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 it, it it's the the wrong is contained in that singular idea that the job of government is now to keep us safe, both from viruses and from the vicissitudes of life. And as long as we have that idea, then you know we're we're in a bad state. Bruce, you make a great point there, and I want to just stop there and kind of camp out on a word that you use that is right in your wheelhouse. You said precedent. Can you speak yeah. for a moment on the importance of precedent in law? Because I think a lot of people hear that word. They gloss over it. Their eyes glaze over or whatever. They don't really care about it. It's not a big thing. But from your profession, precedent is certainly a big thing. And that's why I'm assuming this red flag went off in your head when you saw this this come about. Yes, sure. And, of course, now precedent can operate in a very formal way inside the court system. But it also reflects an idea, which is that the 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 behavior of government in the larger sense should be consistent from time to time and situation to situation in the court system the idea of precedent reflects in a sense the the concept that justice should be blind yes because if the rule is well you apply the same idea in every single case the implication is well it doesn't matter who the parties are to each of those cases because we're applying the same rule time and time again. We have to be consistent. And the same thing with respect to the way government operates. If you allow the government to take an exceptional course with respect to one kind of situation, well then, then what's to stop it from taking that kind of course in, a, in the next one? And th this is what's going to happen, right? So we have now established the idea that it, it is legitimate for government to make these big, broad orders about what people are allowed to do, when they're allowed to go out, what they're allowed to eat, to, 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 uh, to, where they're allowed to go to, to work and to socialize, what kind of businesses can be open and, and so on. And even when COVID goes away, now we have the idea that this can be done for the next so-called emergency and that next emergency right now looks like it might be climate change but who knows what it's going to be mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely like it, it really sets the precedent that they can suspend our civil liberties whenever they deem it possible they can even classify some businesses essential and non-essential like all these things happened in a moment and it seemed like nobody gave much thought to it so i'm appreciative of the fact that you actually spoke uh, against it and you were again advocating for those rights and calling you know out that the emperor didn't have any clothes Anyways, let's... if I if I can ask okay. if I can ask another question, Bruce, I have a, I have a quick question, and this I, I, I'm curious because I want to understand part of the thinking. So for people like yourself, mm -hmm. and I, so I actually have looked back, you know, after two and a half years of of life altering times, I've looked back through my social media, 
And I've actually looked back at some of the things I was posting in March and April of 2020, um, which for many of us who were speaking out against this, before you had the prevalence of data and before you had the real costs of what's happened, we were, we were loony. So I remember sharing something back early in April of 2020. And what I said was, my biggest concern in all of this isn't the virus itself, because I don't think it's as deadly as the climate alarmists are saying they are, because the Imperial College also put out the wonky 12 years the earth is going to melt modeling. So I don't think the virus is as dangerous as they say. And two, I'm not even primarily concerned about the economic consequences of it, even though they're going to be catastrophic. I said back in April of 2020, my biggest concern is when we hand off this much power, when we when we hand over our rights and our freedoms and we give the government more authority, they're not going to give it back and it's only going to get worse. And so here's my question. I know for me, mm -hmm. the reason why I thought that way is I just look backwards, right? And even in recent history, after 9-11, the government said, listen, for this, the American government said, for the sake of your safety, let's read your emails and listen in on your phone calls to keep you safe. That still hasn't changed. And you can just keep looking back at the turn of the, the 20th century in Soviet Russia. We can see what happened with the Germanies in the, in the early to mid 1930s. And so for me, it was history. It was an understanding of what has happened just within the last 150 years that we've seen this play before. And when a government reaches for more power and authority and control, the only way citizens get it back is usually with a fight. And so that in my mind, I was looking back at history and saying, that's why this is so dangerous. What were the, what were what sort of things were you thinking? What was at the front of your mind when you were saying, listen, this is bad, dangerous. And what was that grounded upon in your thinking? Right. Uh, very good. Very good question. And that's a very sensible approach, in my view, to 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 regard history that way. But for me, so this, this, this COVID phenomenon with all of its lockdown measures and vaccine mandates and so on, I mean, it looks to be a sudden thing. Like, holy mackerel, we got this virus and suddenly the whole world has changed. And it, and it did in a way. But all those things were also a culmination of a whole lot of trends that have been in place for a long time, decades, have been developing you know, for example, the expansion of the managerial state over time to be a, a, a dominant force in society controlling basically everything. And all these COVID measures to me at the time, you know, March, April 2020, was in a sense a culmination of the idea of, this, of the managerial state, the logical extension of the proposition that the job of the state is to manage society. Well, what, how is this not an obvious opportunity for that, for that administration, that, that bureaucracy to say, oh, we got a problem here, folks. Let's just take it over. And, and because it was such a, a sort of an, an inevitable conclusion to that trend, it was obvious that it was not going to be the kind of thing that was just a blip, but, but an expression of the, of the solidification of that proposition. Which, which is going to make it very difficult to reverse. So once the threshold is breached, you know, just turning around is, is no simple matter. But also we should say this, because we're at the stage we are now, we have all kinds of data, as you referred to, about all kinds of things, you know, the, 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 the detrimental effects of the lockdown, the, 
the uselessness of the vaccine and, and so on. And, and also the, the, the degree to which the virus itself poses such a minimal risk to most people. But, but the, the, the danger of all these risks, the degree to which the, these, these measures were wrong, does not depend upon those da- that data. I mean, it might have turned out that the data was different. It might have turned out that the vaccines worked. It might have turned out that the virus was slightly more dangerous than it actually was. Even if those things had been the case, the measures were still wrong. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a danger here that because we now have the data, we're relying on the data to say it was wrong. And the data helps, sure. But the proposition that it was wrong is not based upon the data. It's based upon the fact that you cannot take or you should not take people's civil civil liberties away from them in this way because that's not the kind of society that we want to live in. Absolutely. And the government's role is not to mitigate against the risks in personal everyday life. Mm -hmm. Their job is not to make sure that we stay safe and healthy, Mm -hmm. period. Regardless of whether it's the Mm -hmm. Spanish flu, their job is not to say to the individual Canadian – we exist to mitigate against risk and death for you personally. Rather, that's yes. our responsibility to take the risks and live knowing there could be consequences. We have to deal with those. That's not, they're not dad and uh, they're not God. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, we've that's seen, correct. as you made mention in, in, in history, Andrew, the, the ministry of public safety was literally the reign and rule of terror that took place during the French Revolution. That was literally what they right. called it. So, I mean, we, we have to we have to be students of history to understand that this is the way that this sort of statism ends up uh, going. And I think, Bruce, I'm so thankful for some of those comments that you've made because you've pointed to the fact that we're at the very end of a, of a century or more long spear of this managerial state that was uh, foisted on us by the progressive movement in the progressive era. And I can't help but think of like so much of the logic that uh, went on to justify these mandates were, were the very same presuppositions that, oh, hey, look at all these different areas that the state manages our lives. So why not extend it to this area and this area and this area? And nobody can see that that's circular reasoning. <laughs> and the, 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 the basic fundamental principle that you're saying is, yeah, that was wrong. This is wrong, too, because that's objectively not what the state should be doing end of story regardless of the inco- uh, uh, outcomes or the circumstances and that's just a really really important point to make so bruce you see all this stuff going on red flags are going up what are some of the ways that you got active that you spoke out against these concerns um and what have kind of been some of the consequences that you've seen in law in in the civic sphere about or concerning these mandates and these restrictions that were foisted on the Canadian uh, citizens. Right. So one of the things that has been on display during this period is the degree to which so much of what happens with our governments, even with our courts, with our public health officials, depends upon public opinion. 
I mean, a lot of these institutions pretend that they are immune from public opinion and just, you know, based their 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 measures on, you know, the science or the law or as the case may be. But that that's mostly not true. And so in a way, what you immediately had was a contest for public opinion. If you were if you had managed to persuade a significant critical mass of the population that this whole thing was crazy and they were against it, then it would not have lasted. But that's not what happened. Somehow they managed to persuade a, a great proportion of the population that they should be scared. And because they were scared, they supported all of these draconian measures. It was, it's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a new approach. It's an old one. Um, but probably fairly new for, for this you know, liberal democracy or what claims to be a liberal democracy. Uh, and so in terms of trying to push back against it, I mean, I think it's fairly a, a fairly basic attempt to try to persuade people the other way. And to that end, you just do ordinary things like writing stuff in the newspaper and talking about it with people in public and private and uh, online and, and doing your best to, to point out that this doesn't make any sense. It's very difficult to do to the portion of the population that is sort of seized by, you know, uh, mass psychosis, as they say. Uh, but that's not all of them. There's only a certain portion of the population that feels that strongly about it. But as long as you have a significant critical mass of people thinking that it's okay for the government to protect us in this way, then, then the, the situation is going to continue. And so, and that's a very difficult thing to push against because over a period of time, as I alluded to earlier, we have accepted and embraced the idea that the state is there to manage things. And as long as that idea um, continues, this kind of overreach, I think, is going to carry on as well. And it's not even, a, I, would, I would say, it's not just, or it's not even a large number of people, but it's a small number of people in key areas and key positions. So you don't need, for example, and I'm, I'm going to speak to the shame of the broader evangelical church in Canada. You don't need every single pastor to agree. But if you have the heads of denominations and if you have the people who sit atop larger evangelical organizations saying to us, this is good and right for our civil government to do this, you need to comply with them, then that's going to work its way down. And again, you might not have every teacher who agrees, but as long as you have a key number of administrators who are behind it, then it's going to filter its way down. And that, that we've seen this across all institutions that... Yes, you have doctors and nurses and police officers and lawyers who don't support it, but because mm -hmm. at the highest level in the elite world, mm -hmm. those people, yes. for whatever reason, were sold out, and then it just works sure. its way down, and then everyone is forced to drink the, the Kool-Aid by trickle. Well, right. Very good point. But it, but it also raises another piece of this of this model, if you like, or philosophy about the managerial state, which is that, that, that we should all believe in the expertise of people to tell us what to do. And those people you're referring to are those people who claim to have expertise, right? And so the, the, the people, when they hear from 
whether it's someone from the pulpit or somebody in a in a in, in front of the microphone from the public health office or a politician, you know, a, a minister or a, or somebody from the College of Physicians and Surgeons, saying, "Here's what we need to do," then people are trained to think, "Oh, well, that person knows better than me, and so he must be right." And and this this goes hand in glove with. The managerial state. You don't have a managerial state unless you believe in expertise. And we have we have so many people now employed in our society with the job of telling us what to do in at governments at all levels, federal, provincial, local, school board, you name it, all the way up and down. And an awful lot of people who are trained in universities to do nothing but make policies and tell us what to do that that's that's the broad description of the of the job that they're they're for and so we have no shortage of people who are willing to stand up and claim expertise and and claim the authority to to direct us in the way that they have been over the past two and a half years yeah absolutely and it's you talk about the influence of public sentiment on the status of our civil liberties in Canada as though because people are scared of a virus, your fundamental rights and freedoms can just vanish overnight as, right. as though that's what right. fundamental rights and freedoms actually mean within law. It's enough to make you scream and cry. And I'm sure you've gone through all those emotions and everything over the last uh, couple of years. What are you doing now, Bruce? Where where has life brought you? You've been an outspoken ad, outspoken advocate for civil liberties, for freedom in Canada. I'm sure that didn't win you a ton of friends, and it didn't influence a bunch of people. But I'm sure it's led you down uh, some interesting roads. So if people want to get more from Bruce Party, if they want to know what you're up to, maybe you could uh, let our listeners and our viewers know. I will be delighted. Yes. So right now, as as Andrew uh, mentioned uh, off the top, I am now directing a think tank called Rights Probe, which is a division of the Energy Probe Research Foundation, one of Canada's leading sort of so-called free market uh, think tanks. They've been around for decades, um, providing you know clear thinking to a confused world about for, first in its history in the environmental area and energy area, but have that's it's branched out into a whole lot of other uh, topics as well. But um, they, they have, they have given me, given me a, a vehicle uh, within which to pursue these kinds of questions. And I'm grateful to them for having done that. And to do that, I've taken a, a, a temporary leave from my, my teaching at, at Queens. Um, the, the theme of rights probe, not exclusively, but, but primarily is focused on the law and how, the legal ground is sort of shifting underneath our feet, and 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 Matthew, you you alluded to to this in your question. It's been really interesting over the past two and a half years how many times these various kinds of COVID measures have been challenged in court, and those challenges have failed. And we've basically been left with the with the impression that the the law has abandoned us in this period, at least those of us who believe that civil liberties are important and, and should be defended. But you have in this era people saying things like the following, and sometimes you can even see it in the decisions of courts, occasionally. The idea that people have the right 
to be protected from an airborne virus, which is preposterous. That, 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 that cannot be the case, because if it was the case, we would all have had these measures before for the, for the flu and for colds and for all the other hundreds of airborne viruses that have already existed in our population. So it's essentially saying you have the right idea. to live in a fantasy world. That's essentially exactly what so. it's saying. You have a right to live yeah. in fantasy. Yeah. It says I have the right to demand that the government make you not leave your house or the equivalent. And and that has never been the case. Going back to your question about precedent, I mean that that is that is not supported by the precedent and it's not supported by the case law. The case law is not supported by the statutory law. I mean, where is this coming from? It's coming from the impression that this is the proper role of the state. And it is contrary to the way we thought that our that our charter worked, that our that our laws basically worked, and you're just making stuff now, now up out of thin air. Um, but 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 it's been a very puzzling and peculiar period in in our and our law. I, I mean it is, but I should also to be fair, I should also emphasize that like like the lockdowns itself this is a culmination of trends in the law itself leading us to this place i mean there's so much to unpack there bruce there's so i mean yeah. this i feel i feel like there's another discussion that we need, we need to have you on again we need to talk about you know questions for example like the effectiveness or what 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 we have seen to be the utter, utter impotence of the charter and if it is indeed this glorious document that provides the protections that it does, or if we've seen a weakness in the charter itself, I think that's a discussion worth having, right? And Positive people, and negative of, laws. We can, of, we can talk about. A lot of about... constitutional people will talk about how maybe what pre-existed the charter provides more rights and freedoms in the charter itself. There's that the grounding for the laws themselves, yeah. right? The historical mm -hmm. basis and the legal basis, and I would argue the biblical Christian foundations for our laws our legal systems even the idea of the appropriate distinction between the state and the citizens and what is what the state's allowed to do and what is for the citizens a lot of that is ground a lot of that history we look back to the magna carta british common law these are all grounded on kind of new testament understandings of law and state so lots of good stuff here bruce where where can people find you other than rights probe where can they find you what's your twitter handle on social media how can they follow you how can they you know, kind of see more about what you're doing. Right. So thank you for the question. My Twitter handle is at uh, Party Bruce. Um, the Rights Probe uh, site, as you mentioned, is rightsprobe.org. There's a way to contact me on that website. There's a, an email address. So either one of those two ways, either on Twitter or the Rights Probe site through email would be terrific. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, Bruce, for coming on the show. Like Andrew said, well, I like I have so many more questions. We have such a bigger, broader discussion to have. Not only us on the podcast, but us as a nation, as Canadians, this stuff really matters, and we can't it go really, to sleep really on does. this. It really does. Yeah. 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 It really, really matters, yep. and the the rights, the freedoms, the comforts, the affluence that we all enjoy as Canadian citizens. It has a foundation. It wasn't built on thin air. And if we're not going to fight for these um, rights, we're going to leave our children and our grandchildren with a, a rotten inheritance. And that is something that yes. us as parents, as as citizens, we, we should shrink back at the thought of that. So 
Bruce, I'm so thankful for your voice in in this crazy time. It's a voice of sanity. We're appreciative that we were able to connect up to have this conversation, and we hope it blessed people. Be well, buddy, and uh, Godspeed. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Great to talk to you. I was glad to have that interview with Bruce, and it's a shame that I didn't really get to know more about him or really discover him sooner before he took his temporary leave from Queen's Law and is now working with Rights Probe. And I'll just say quickly for our audience, go to rightsprobe.org to find out more about what they're doing, see the work that Bruce is doing there. We obviously want to support that. If he's fighting for freedom, if he's a co-belligerent in this freedom movement, then we will link arms mm. with him absolutely. Uh, I also hope to connect with him sometime when I'm out that way in London for a coffee. And I know towards the tail end of our conversation, uh, the part that wasn't recorded, we started launching into a really good discussion about <laughs> Which we'll the have foundation to have. <laughs> for rights, right? Is it is it really yeah. enlightenment stuff? Is mm -hmm. it reformational yeah. stuff? Is it really Christian yeah. in its underpinning? So that was that was good, and we need to definitely have that discussion. We're going to have that discussion Absolutely. with him. Yeah, we had like a 45-minute conversation. We didn't hit the record air. button, yeah, but it was no, good, we so didn't. we're going to have that. So I'm, I'm thankful mm -hmm. for him. You know, leading into the show, I read from that passage in 2 Corinthians 1, 18 to 20, and, and the reason why I, I read from that is when we think about all the different branches, all the different spheres and industries in Canada— the medical establishment has lost all credibility. There's no trust for them. The The academy has become so infiltrated by the cancer that is the neo-Marxist woke critical theory ideology. You have the media, which is just the funded government propaganda arm. You have all levels of elected officials in the state where there's compromise and where there's corruption. It's just everywhere. The entertainment industry. It's all, it's all empty. It, they, they promise happiness and fulfillment. And it's to be found in you or in your group identity. All they do is offer a promise and, and really the hope of this Marxist utopia. But the truth is all they really offer is death and destruction. That's all they really offer. Destroying families, killing babies before they're born killing old people because they're an inconvenience and sterilizing kids so they can't have kids themselves or forcing people to abandon God's design for marriage so we can't have more kids is a death cult with empty promises and a hollow reality. But what we stand on is the solid foundation that is Christ Jesus. We can't get too far away from that as we talk about political and social and cultural analysis. We cannot forget you know that him the solid rock right when darkness veils his lovely face i rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand that's that's the hope we have that is the sure foundation and that is something that we can cling to Regardless of what's happening around us in the world, regardless of the empty promises and the death cult, Christ is life, Christ is joy, and he is a solid, immovable foundation for those who put their trust in him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and speaking of the rock of ages, it is 
in him and his cleft side that we are hid and nothing in our hands do we bring but simply to the cross we cling and that is the the beauty and the hope that we have in jesus christ and that stands in stark contrast to what is being offered from these ideologies and these death cults and everything that's gone on the last two years Christ offers life and life more abundantly. He offers us freedom in him to live virtuous lives. And what we have now understood that these crazy leftists wants, they believe the rights that we should actually possess are the rights that a prisoner possesses in a two by five cell. That's their, their limited views of rights. They, they, they have everything absolutely wrong and they're, ideology which is marxist to the core is responsible for mass death because they believe in this dialectical process of history moving through these cycles of revolutionary change history uses people and discards them for the sake of bringing about progressive change so we look in horror at some of these communist countries who led millions upon millions upon millions of their own people to the slaughter and we say how can this be it's the dangerous ideologies that have drastic effects ideas have consequences and bad ideas have body counts now may we turn from dangerous evil ideologies and put our faith and trust in the one who is truth incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, that solid rock. It is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. And that is the surety that we have as Christians. So that's the way that we want to end the program. And I also want to say, as we do at the end of the show, that it is because of Christ, it is in Christ that we have freedom. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Till next time. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.libertycoalitioncanada.com.